Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. How does a bank, ANZ to be specific, ensure its 300 plus marketers are not caught up in their own bubble, resist the temptation to stay narrow and outdated in their skill sets, and have the capabilities for what AI, personalization, creativity, media, and customers will throw at them in five years? Good question, Paul, you might say, and it's what we're about to find out. After ANZ CMO Shweta Mira joined from PNG five years ago, one of her early priorities was to lift marketing's standing internally at the bank and its contribution to the business. That means you need good people. Shweta charged ANZ's former head of consumer finance marketing at ANZ, Kate Young, with the task of creating ANZ's marketing masters and brand academy programs. They are now full-on beasts. Something like 19 capability areas are wrapped up in the initiative and ANZ has seen big leaps in job satisfaction across its teams. ANZ executives who are not in marketing are also in on this and it's paying great dividends. Back in December, ANZ announced a partnership with the AMI, the Australian Marketing Institute, and its Certified Practicing Marketer Program. That's just the start, but given we're thick in the middle of a talent crisis and marketing teams are facing huge challenges to what they need to know and do in a short few years, we've got Kate Young today to talk through what ANZ's future marketers look like and how it plans to build them. So welcome, Kate. This is a really, we had a, a great conversation the other the other day about all this and um, let's get into it. Uh, it. It's a really interesting one that there's so much, I guess, investment going from a bank into marketing teams is what we used to see 20 years ago uh, and it looks like some investment in capabilities back. Just um, before we get right into the detail on, on what these programs look like, give us a sense on, on how marketing uh, was viewed uh, inside ANZ and is now. So give us a sense of that, you know, across the business. Thanks for having me, Paul, and, and a terrific a terrific first question. And look, to answer your question, I don't know that I'm going to speak, I will speak specifically about ANZ, but I don't think what I'm going to say is actually unique to ANZ. I actually think it's, it's quite right. frankly symptomatic of um, a number of organisations that have operate have or do operate in oligopoly markets. Um, what you have tended to find is that marketing was required to serve, to play a certain role on the basis of what the market and competitive landscape looked like and what customers' expectations and needs were. Now that had marketing uh, in ANZ uh, probably operating a little bit more um, inconsistency across uh, inconsistently across the value chain and probably. Uh, Rallying more around uh, execution, uh, go-to-market, communications, etc. So marketing communications more than the other four P's that go into marketing. Absolutely, absolutely. And that was the way that the organisation has been structured. What we're finding, though, in, in certainly in the time that Sweet has been with the organisation and indeed the time I've been in my role, is that the market, the customer and the competitive landscape are changing at such a rapid rate that we need to think differently about the value and the role that marketing can play within the organisation. And that's certainly about marketing moving much further up the value chain, being more strategic and really data and insight led. So Kate, when you say you know marketing was probably inconsistent across the organisation, do what does that mean in terms of it was in some parts and not in others, or it was marcoms in one area? And what what do you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean, Paul. So I think what we found is that different teams 
uh, viewed marketing in different ways. So potentially some that had come from different organisations. You know, if I was to look at somebody like, you know, Shweta coming out of FMCG, you know, in, in P&G, mm. the role of marketing looks different in those organisations. And so in pockets, if people uh, had entered the bank potentially from other industries, the role that they believed marketing could play was different to other areas of the bank, which maybe had been operating more traditionally, you know, over the last decade or so. And I guess this is where, you know, to your point, Schwitter's sort of one of her grand pillars was to elevate, like you talked, elevate marketing up the food chain into marketing. And that, so that's what it was. It was, it was inconsistent. Where are you at now in the bank, uh, uh, you know, currently as, as things changed? Yeah, so I'll go back just a moment. When I took the role, it was also about the fact that the bank had a much more dedicated focus to being customer-centric and was rallying itself around that. And so this role, the original brief that was given to me was around how do we support ANZ's customer-centric ambitions by accelerating the capability of the marketing team? And so when I commenced, the first piece of work that we did was really plotting what customer centricity for ANZ looked like on a maturity curve. And as ANZ became more mature around its customer-centric efforts, how did marketing need to transform to support that? And so we plotted also where marketing sat on that maturity curve and we've built a roadmap to have us move up that um, up that roadmap by building marketing capability to ensure that we're providing the right support back to the organisation to deliver on customer centricity. Right. So that was the customer centricity bit. And then, and then the programs that came uh, along to underwrite that, if you like. Is that what happened then? Well, it's really interesting because when I took on the brief, I didn't actually have in mind what the outcome would be. I didn't realise we were going to build these programs. Um, Brand Academy had just started. It, it had started about four months prior to me taking the role, but again, it sort of sat outside the work that I was doing. Um, when I when I took on the role, um, like I said, it was a pretty broad brief. And, and the first thing that I wanted to do was to really say, how do we understand the needs of our employees? How do we treat our employees like our customers? What do they really need to do in order to become top performing, modern day commercially minded marketers? And more importantly, what were the critical capabilities that would underpin that ambition? And so the first piece of work was actually doing um, a lot of global research and work around the 19 capability areas that we wanted to anchor ourselves and our teams around. So that was the first the first piece within that. Uh, what we soon realised, though, is that just having a backbone or a capability framework that sits by itself um, doesn't really drive the cultural change or the deep engagement that you're after. And that's when we realised we needed to turn this into a development and growth program that happens periodically, you know, throughout the year. So just like you, um, you know, go through budget planning or strategy planning or doing performance reviews, now development growth is a program that our marketers go through consistently every year. And there are certain steps within our program that they have to go through um, on their learning and growth journey throughout that period. So what happens when people start doing this? Do they go, actually, I want to do more over there? Does it change people's capability and careers, I guess is the question here. This is such a wonderful question. So you know, day one when we built this, and I sort of talked about that roadmap, day one, you know, the program was really focused around what people needed to do to be fantastic in the role that they're in today. But what we're absolutely realising is that it's opening up 
um, I guess, people's career ambitions and people saying, oh, okay, there, there's different skill sets I can still learn at the bank. There's areas I hadn't thought to focus on before. And there's a huge piece of work that we're working on at the moment, which will launch early next year around career pathways. So that will be one of the new program enhancements in 2022, which is that not only will people have a really, um, I guess, dedicated um, footprint and clarity and transparency around the expectations of them in the role they have today, they'll also have some really clear pathways that they can look to pursue in the future as well. And that's great because that way people are also themselves thinking about their career in terms of a bit of a two-speed strategy today. So they can maybe be thinking about capability areas that are going to enhance what they're doing today, but they can also ensure that they're dedicating time to maybe a role that they, they, they could want in one or two years' time. Can you give us a little hint when you talked about uh, personalization, AI, um, customer centricity and, and tech being future areas of capability developed, have your people ready, what sits underneath that? So what, is it, what does a curriculum look like or what does a module look like that says, here's how you can do better AI, here's how you or use AI better, here's how you do personalization? What does that actually look like? Oh gosh, this is such a good question, especially because we're building it at the moment. Um, and it's, it's actually quite a hard one to solve for, right? Because the capability is emerging sort of all the time. So, you know, as you're building it, you're almost saying, mm. is, is that redundant? So you've got to be, you've got to be, you've got to sort of be looking into, into the future. I'm going to go back a step because the first thing I want to say is that when we get to a world where we will be going to market through AI and machine learning, where, where personalization, the MarTech platforms will be scaled and where we will be organized around that, the actual profile of a top performing marketer looks very different to what it looks like today. So what we what we know is, yes, we need to be building, um, you know, and upskilling our people in areas like data and, and tech literacy, but more importantly is actually the balance of non-technical capability areas. And so that's actually a really big focus for us at the moment. So the profile will, will, will need to have much more creativity, agility, adaptability, resilience, um, ethical management, and most importantly, we believe that empathy becomes the brand differentiator. Because if you think about going to market through AI and machine learning, you have to be able to apply a very deep human element to be able to interrogate those, those algorithms. You, you have to be able to do that to be customer-centric. Otherwise, you're just sort of implicitly believing um, you know, the, the algorithms and the results and, and what the machine's telling you to do. You, you have to be able to, um, you know, bring in that, that human component. And so for us, we're also thinking about what does the structure of the marketing team need to look like in the future? And more importantly, in addition to that new profile of a top performing marketer, what new roles might we see emerging? So we're thinking about people that will, um, you know, be responsible for, for ethical management, people that will be master storytellers, uh, people that will be responsible for auditing for bias, and ensuring that that the algorithms, you know, are, are not are not biased in the way that they're um, developed. They can be and are. <laughs> Absolutely. So so that's kind of also how we're looking at the future. We're saying it's not just necessarily about the curriculum. It's actually more around organisational capability. It's once we start scaling, you know, some of that technology. How 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 does the profile look? How does the structure look? How does the, the, the role mandates, how do they change in order for us to actually operate effectively in that world? And so you're saying things like, and this is purely around the marketing function, and, and we, I get, I understand we are talking beyond marketing communications, but you're saying there may be a role in the marketing team somewhere for AI ethics. 
that's what you're saying will be a role that we don't have now. We clearly don't have that at the moment. It, it's so exciting. I mean, it's a challenge, right? Like it's a, it's a it's a big undertaking to be thinking through, you know, all of this, especially when it's all still emerging. But that's what we believe and, and, and that's the way that we're looking at, you know, the, the future and that reskilling, upskilling journey. Now, just when you, you mentioned another thing, Kate, um, which was when you scale your MarTech platforms, personalization uh, will become a, you know, a core central skill for or an understanding of everyone for for everyone in the marketing team. When you talk about scaling those Martech platforms, what do you mean by that? So you're still building them out, or you're on you're on some sort of roadmap that to get to where? Yeah, so so we we have a roadmap at the moment, and you know we we have platforms in place, but at the moment we we are, are testing use cases and we're, we're we're testing and learning, and we're sort of in that phase of development. So really, what we wanted to do is to to spend a little bit more time understanding exactly how we we want to use the platforms um, and how we build our structures then around that. And then we'll actually start to deploy it where it becomes, you know, I guess it will underpin the majority of what people do today. Whereas at the moment it's, it's being done in pockets and in, and in certain teams, it isn't being done across every team. So at the moment it almost sits as, as a capability in itself um, you know, in the future, it will become part of the fabric of everybody's role. I don't see a lot of this, um, this sort of com- this, this, this substantial investment in, in, in marketing capability development internally in companies. I don't know. I can't. There may be there, but I haven't seen it. So it's really interesting. But this is a question for you, the curly one. Um, in, in, in five years' time, what percentage of, of marketing of the marketing team's role? What, how different will it be? Will there anyone be doing the same thing today? Like they can bank on that campaign management or research and, and, and what do you call it, experience design. Will everyone's job be radically different? I, I believe over time people's roles will be radically different. And the reason I believe that is because I did a piece of work last year really around the future of marketing. And what we're going to see happening um, in 2024 is a bit of an inflection point where digital native, so people who have grown up with technology, you know, as part of their lives, will overtake those like myself who've had to learn it, you know, during their life. Oh, you're over 30, are you, Kate? <laughs> That's so funny. That's so kind. Sorry, I digressed. <laughs> um, but what's going to happen then is that digital no longer is a channel. It's part of the fabric of society. And all of a sudden, the way consumers act and behave with technology, the the vastness of data availability that will be on, on the side of the consumer, coupled with um, the use of, of intermediaries and AI, means that marketing needs to respond to that. So when you ask me, will a marketing role look different? Yes, because it's going to need to be much more anticipatory. So I'm almost thinking beyond personalization, Paul, if I can be really frank with you, I'm thinking about that next phase, you know, when that scenario is playing out. Um, and, and so, yes, I think there will still be, there will still be core technicalities that, that, that every marketer or indeed just any enabler of customer experience will need to have. What I would say is, and this is also why we're focused sort of moving um, uh, or, or building capability further up the value chain, I think probably the capabilities that sit further up the value chain, such as, you know, analysis of data, um, research, insight, you know, strategic planning, I think that they're still going to be core. What will change largely is the way we execute. So I think that the people that are fundamentally in executional style roles, that's where you're going to see some changes because we will, that the, the MarTech uh, and the AI, et cetera, will take over some of the more manual things that let's say a campaign manager does today. So it's not about uh, um, kind of, you know, and, and I'll use this language carefully, it's not about roles 
not being relevant in, anymore. It's about us making sure that we're changing the profile of those roles and bringing our people on that journey. So on that case, so you talked about digital natives, and uh, I'm, I'm interested in this one too because if you think about the you know digital natives becoming um, the primary uh, the, the drivers of what new marketers look like, we have had this issue though, haven't we, in in digital of um, silos or the understanding that the function that they are they are in uh, can can do everything for marketing. I um, social's the answer. What's the question? Uh, programmatics the answer. What's the question? Personalization's the answer. What's the question? If you're in any of those capabilities, if you're one of those marketers, that's what you see and that's what you drive. So when you start talking about digital natives taking over, how do you get away from everyone believing that their function actually is the thing that can change the world or do better? Um, you got to cross that. Is that a real issue? I think it's something to be cautious of because we have seen it in the past and you're right to call that out. I think for us, we're thinking very differently about how our teams will be structured. As I sort of said, they're going to be much more cross-functional, multidisciplinary teams. We need to break down those sides. We can't have people thinking, um, you know, about kind of channel in the way that they, they did. As I said, you know, when that digital native population becomes the primary population or the most the most prolific or, or largest rather, um, you know, again, we, we stop thinking about digital as a channel. We start thinking about it more as just the fabric of society, just the way things are done, just the way people consume information, uh, how they seek recommendations, how they buy, uh, et cetera. It, it just fundamentally changes things. And, and more importantly for us is also, as I said, you know, the role of intermediaries because intermediaries potentially will take or will take a lot of the, the way that we have traditionally marketed or um, influenced. And so I think that, you know, we, we need to also be thinking through through that. So I think we've just got to be cautious, Paul, of, of what's happened in the past and to really think about our structure and our teams differently. Well, I bring it up, Kate, because obviously, you know, um, people like Mark Richard have been very vocal on the fact that there is, you know, there's a lack in marketing of st- of strategy first before you run off and do the tactics. And some of the so much of the stuff that we talk about in marketing capability is execution. It is tactics. It is channel. And if you're in that, you believe that that's the way that you, you can drive drive get a result, right? So it's strategic underpinnings and the broader stuff, is, I guess, is where I was where I was headed with that. Yeah. So again, it it kind of goes back to what we were speaking about earlier around the T-shaped marketer. So, you know, there's always going to be people that are in certain roles doing certain tasks, but we know as a collective, as a whole, um, you know, discovery and insights, you know, understanding how to interrogate data to develop growth opportunities, et cetera, being more strategic, being able to ensure that you're effectively measuring and reported to, to reporting to go back and interrogate strategies, that's not going to change. And we are really focused on that at the moment and we will be into the into the foreseeable future. It's okay. Kate, just, just give it a bit of a sense, though. What did you identify as uh, as the grand challenges uh, for the marketing teams, both now into the future? There's a reason why you're doing this stuff. What, what were the key areas you needed to build on? I would say probably the, the, the biggest areas uh, that, that were a challenge for us was actually the rapid rate of change that we're facing into and also the skill shortages that exist within this function. And so for us, it's almost adopting a two-speed strategy. We had to look at what were the critical capabilities that underpin top performing marketers today in terms of the role makeup, the way we're structured, what we need to do to deliver on our customer expectations, but also recognize 
recognising that the future in one, two, three years looks very, very different. So for us, it's about how we preparing and upskilling and reskilling our marketers for that reality when we're going to market through AI and machine learning, when personalisation is scaled, and when, quite frankly, the, the digital adoption um, and, and the way that our customers will be using technology will fundamentally challenge um, what they expect from brands and the way that we need to respond accordingly. Kate, just on that, I mean, you talk about T-shaped marketers and you talk about, um, you know, we, we talk about specialism or specialisation and general and generalists. Um, where does all that, so does everybody in the, in, in the ANZ team, it sounds like it has to at least have a, a good understanding of personalisation and AI in five years' time. What do you, where does that all land? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. And that's such a good question. And we kind of talk about this concept of, you know, an in inverted commas, you know, a fat T-shape, right? So it's not really the traditional T-shape where you're sort of broad in a few areas and and, and and deep in one or two, you're going to need to be deeper in maybe three or four and broader in, in many more. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the challenge here for marketers is that once you start, as I said, going to market through AI um, and you have scaled your MarTech platforms and, and are using personalization, you know, a, a appropriately or indeed even anticipation, you know, in, in the future, you're going to be structured quite differently. You're going to be bringing together cross-functional multidisciplinary teams. And that requires marketers and also data and tech people to have a broader appreciation of each other and the capabilities that, that exist within that cross-functional team. You build them inside. This is this is all these 19 capabilities. That's personalization, AI, these are part of the, the program. Is that right? Absolutely, they are. Today, in terms of the training curriculum, we are building a personalization module. We haven't launched that yet because we're not quite ready to, to be scaling the MarTech platforms, but we are wanting to start to build that foundational knowledge. So we are wanting to start to take those cross-functional teams on that journey within the next sort of six to 12 months. Then as we start to, to scale that capability, we will um, evolve the programs to be much more application and experience-based so that we're really teaching people about the tools and how they will actually perform in their day jobs. But, you know, the program today has focused much more on uh, the critical capabilities that our marketers are doing today. So like I said, we're we're having to ensure that our marketers... We're having to ensure that our marketers have the right tools and processes um, to enable them to be great in the roles they have today. But we are still, as I mentioned earlier, really ensuring we also have that reskilling and upskilling curriculum um, starting to evolve as well. Just out of interest, before you did this program, what were, were your people? Uh, where were they getting their inputs? Where were they getting their, their updating themselves and, and, and staying with it? Was it just on the job? Yeah, I love this question, actually, and it was really inconsistent. And in fact, when you ask that question at the start of this conversation, you know, really sitting down with our employees and understanding what was working for them and what wasn't was actually really critical. What we found is that the way capability building was approached for marketing was incredibly inconsistent across the organisation and very fragmented. And what I mean by that is we would hear feedback from people saying, you know, great. I know there's a lot of courses out there. Um, We have lots of wonderful partnerships. There's great content. The challenge for me is that I don't know what to do. Um, And what we found people were doing when we analysed the behaviours is that people were gravitating towards the thing they thought they should be learning or the thing they wanted to learn. And what would happen as a result of that is that the, the, the efforts that they would put into their growth and learning wouldn't translate into tangible value back on the job. 
And people would start to then disengage with prioritising learning growth and development because they couldn't translate it to value. They couldn't translate it to being better in the role they have or getting a promotion. So, sorry, just to be clear, they were they were they were they were getting inputs on something they weren't doing. Is that is that what you're saying? That they weren't even able to apply more so that actually they they wanted to grow, but they just had a smorgasbord of courseware, and they actually just didn't really understand the linkage between. Uh, a course they could do or learning they could do or any other type of, of growth activity and what would be the critical or essential thing that would help them be better in the role they have today. And the reason I bring that up is because that was a fundamental piece of insight that we wanted to address. We wanted to ensure that in the work that myself and the team does, that we provided real tra- uh, transparency and clarity to help people with those two decisions. Where am I going to focus my efforts and how are we going to ensure that it does actually transform translate to that tangible value back on the job. Um, and so that's where, you know, we went into actually creating what we, what, a task that we call role mapping, but it's basically creating a unique profile for every single marketer across the enterprise, across every grade level around what the expectations on a four point scale of mastery look like for their role across those 19 capability areas. And the reason, and it sounds, it's, it's quite, you know, it's quite detailed, but the reason that is so critical is because every year we ask our marketers to go through a self-reflection process. We call that process the My Mastery Review. And what, what that individual will do is they will assess their level of mastery uh, across those 19 capability areas. And at the end of that process, a report will be generated that will detail for them their positive and developmental deviations across the expectations of the role that we've mapped in the background. And so what they can then do is they can look at that report and say, oh, actually, if I want to be really great in my role, I just need to focus on these two things, which I'm slightly underperforming on today. And that clarity and transparency means they can be really focused. Um, And then off the back of that, we give them a personalised learning plan that says, based on Kate Young, for example, wanting to build capability in A and B, this is what we would suggest that you would do in the year ahead. And therefore, they've got a really concrete set of actions. Um, We've taken a lot of the effort out of it, but more importantly, we've given them focus and direction. And we've said, it's not you focusing on 19 areas. For your job, it's these one or two things that you need to get better in in the year ahead. Two questions then. Um, we, we won't get you to list them all, but give us a sense of those 19 capability areas. And and then also, let's start with that because it's a beast in itself. So, so the capabilities span the entire value chain. So we basically start with discovery and insights. And under discovery and insights, there's you know, four capability areas, for example, market intelligence, customer uh, intelligence, uh, portfolio economics, business implications, et cetera. So there, there'll be sort of what we call a capability cluster, and then there'll be set capabilities under, under that. So discovery and insights, we move into personalization, strategic planning and prioritization, and then we move through into our execution capabilities, which would include things like creative development, developing propositions, media planning um, and buying, and then we'd finish with uh, measurement and reporting, which enables us to really close that loop. So, so we do sort of look at it as, as, a, as a loop where once you sort of work through that value chain and that process, you can then use those, um, those metrics and, and reporting to really interrogate future um, you know, future st- strategic plans. Right. So that's, I mean, there's a big, there's a big breadth of, of um, subjects and themes there. And so what happens if you've got machine learning, the background that's putting recommendations of the modules that people need to build, uh, you know, where, where they're undercooked, who decides they're undercooked in a, in a certain area, for instance? So the way we work, you know, and, and 
you know, we're starting off. So we're on a journey. We would love it to get sort of to a level of sophistication where we do start to build in, um, you know, some of some of the areas of um, machine learning, et cetera, to help with this. At the moment, there is still a, a little bit of, of um, a manual component to it. So when we do, first of all, the role map. Are you like an exa- HSC exam marker that has to go through every one of them, Kate, do you? Sometimes. I don't go through them all. Um, I do I do look at them from time to time, but it does sometimes feel like that. But it's not, it's not really um, an assessment. It's more of a reflection. And the way that the reflection will work is also in calibration with their leader. Right. So when we do the role mapping and we set that profile, we do that in conjunction with their leader. And we also make sure that it's calibrated and fair across the enterprise because what we don't want is one leader saying, I think the profile of a campaign manager looks like X and another leader saying, I think it looks like Y, right? So there, there is a, a lot of calibration to ensure consistency. Um, but obviously you can appreciate when someone does a reflection, you know, there, there can be some subjectivity in that. And so it isn't a direct science, it's it's directional. So, you know, it's, it's not concrete. But what we do is once they have generated that report, we do ask them to sit down with their leader and to have a conversation. And for their leader to, to almost, again, calibrate those results with them and have a conversation and also to agree on the learning plan for, for the, the year ahead as well. And all those capability programs, those sub bits, those sub components you talk about, are they all done in-house you've built them all out yourself or do you outsource how, how where do they where does all that come from because it's, it's quite a, a, a task yeah look a, a bit of both so we've worked you know we do a lot of it in-house um, but we have also worked with some some global partners who have deep expertise in this area as well to to provide some global benchmarking for us to ensure that we're really building them out at the right level and to do some comparisons against you know some of the best of the best as well so there's a little bit of both there's a little bit of um, I guess working in collaboration with external partners but also some work that we do internally and just before we get into some of the the, the, the a little bit more of the program um you talked about the cross-function the future market is needing needing to work in cross-functional teams um the the sort of the 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 marketing masters and the brand academy so forth that's gone broader than the marketing team right you've been trying to anz's been trying to build out the role of what marketing should be across the organization in teams that aren't to do with marketing is that right that's, that's absolutely correct. And that's a, it's a great question. So let me go back. I'm going to start with Brand Academy. So Brand Academy was the first program. And whilst the capabilities that we've built in our academy, which are basically at the moment they're, they're uh, in per- I was going to say in-person workshops, they're, they're in-person virtually, uh, you know, workshops, application-based workshops. But what we realised when we were building those workshops is that we couldn't just build them for the marketing function because more functions intersect across that journey than just marketing. And so the whole purpose of the academy was to really create consistency around certain technicalities, such as creating propositions, create a process, create uh, tools and frameworks to assist people through that process and to create consistent uh, terminology, etc. So we open that up to uh, a variety of folk that might be involved in, let's say, a proposition program. So that might be our marketing team, it might be our data teams, it might be our research teams, experienced designers, technology. It really could be anyone. So the program is absolutely open for all within um, ANZ, even though we own and build it. With Marketing Masters, in the early stages, it was slightly uh, different. We did build this program specifically as a growth and development program for marketing. So it was specifically built uh, for marketing. And the capability framework that, that underpins it as the backbone is based on critical, technical, modern day marketing capabilities. But the fantastic thing about this program is 
if we think about its infrastructure, if we think about the way it's developed as a program, you can lift and shift that into any other area within the bank. And all that would need to change are those capabilities. So I could lift and shift this as a program into data and we could have data masters or technology masters or whomever. So the idea is that the rigor, the governance, the structure, the program is actually transferable and, and, and could evolve more broadly than just the marketing function. And so where are you at today then, Kate? Because we, we saw, I think in December, uh, an alliance or a partnership with the Australian Marketing Institute on your program. Um, what's that about? And so, yeah, sum up, I guess, where, the, where everything is at today and how it's going. We were very clear to establish a maturity roadmap for this program. You know, you have to be quite clear when you're building um, and launching programs like this of the, the critical change management that's required, but also how you need to ensure um, adoption and engagement of your people. And you can't overwhelm them, you know. If, if I look at where we were when we first started this program to where we are now three years in, uh, if I had have launched everything that this program has today back then, it would have been too much for people to consume. And so naturally, the way we look at this program is always about um, an, an evolution. And certainly our new partnership with the Australian Marketing Institute is that step in that next journey for us. It was about saying, who is the right um, industry body or, or partner to work with to help us take our program to the next level, to help enhance what we currently had within our current program, to help elevate it, to continue us on that journey around cultural change, um, and also to help our people really get out into industry and have an external focus. And so when I think about, you know, some of the critical components that this partnership has, you know, the AMI have accredited our Brand Academy program. So that's really important for us because now we have an external validation of the robust curriculum that ANZ has built for its people. And that goes a long way, you know, to really driving deep engagement with our internal teams. We've also built in um, programs like mentor uh, mentorships or emerging uh, leadership support. We've looked at eligibility for some of our more senior top performing marketers to undergo an assessment to become a certified practicing marketer or CPM. So there's just a number of things that we're doing to say um, this is not fundamentally adding new components to the marketing masters or brand academy or the capability strategy overall. It's about saying we're already, do already doing these things but the partnership takes it to the next level. It's that evolution for us. You know, you know what ANZ's doing, it's, it's probably no, no surprise, Schwitters from... Um Sweeters from PNG, and they invest a lot, right, in, in terms of in, in marketing and capability. But what it seems to me the ANZ is doing is we haven't seen this for at least 20 years. There's been a dearth of investment from companies full stop in investing in capabilities. It used to be a major thing across the industry. Um, you're returning to it um, in investing in your own um, capability program, building program. What's changed? Why did we lose it? And why, I guess there's a dearth of talent to bring it back. Is that part of the reason why you're doing it? Yeah, look, I think there's a number of reasons and it's really hard to sort of pinpoint it down to, to one thing because you're right. We saw it consistently. We saw people moving away from it. Now, whether it was because their organisations had made the investments and those investments were starting to pay off and they, they didn't see the need to, to continue them because they were getting what they needed. But I also think probably what also happened is that we started to underestimate 
the rapid rate of change that was going to be happening around the role that in particular marketers, you know, would need to play. Now, we can already see that that's starting to play out in terms of skill shortages, etc. And so I think for, for Schweder, in coming into ANZ and indeed creating the function that I lead and my role, I think for her it was almost that recognition that we really needed to double down on this now to really prepare ourselves for the eventuality that is going to be, you know, two or three years into the future. And so I think she she almost had an eye to some extent, you know, uh, on, you know, the, the, the changing market landscape and, and the changing customer, et cetera, and said, we really need to be thinking about this now. Otherwise, we may find ourselves in a... Um, disadvantaged state in the future. So I think it was it was just that realisation um, of all of that, that kind of perfect storm coming together. But to answer your point around why we lost it, like I said, I don't know that I have a, a clear response to that, but what I'm seeing is still quite a bit of um, lack of focus or attention um, to this. You know, when I speak to people like you or, or even the AMI or, or others out there, we're not seeing companies really do what we're doing. Um, and, and I think that's also, you know, contributing to, to what we will see in the future, which will be a massive skill shortage. Is there a risk here, Kate, that the ANZ could be a great new poaching house for, for, for marketing? Um, do you think about that at all and, and, and what that could, could, could end up for you? I do think about that because I get asked that question quite, quite frequently, actually. And the reality is, Yes, that might happen, but we don't think about it in that way. We know that we have an obligation to the business, to our marketers and to our customers to ensure that we are upskilling and reskilling our marketing team. Um, we have an obligation to them, to them as their employer to help build them um, and to ensure that they are, are future-proofed and ready. And if they were to decide you know, to, to go on and do something else in the future, um, that, that would be their choice. That's not something we can control. What we can control is ensuring that we are delivering on our obligations to, to the above mentioned people. The flip side to that is that you could reduce churn and people like staying at the ANZ because they're learning stuff and, and, they're, and they're actually getting something out of it. That's the, that's the upside. Have you seen any changes in your numbers or satisfaction with your teams? We are seeing huge uplift on a number of fronts and, and let me run through I mean first of all from an engagement perspective you know we've got 93 percent of our, our marketers really actively engaged in this program in all elements of it which is phenomenal phenomenal what we target is a 10 percent year on year uplift in, in capability which we're absolutely on on track with and we measure that when I talked about that that reporting tool where people assess themselves we're actually able to get some really rich data from that that, that shows us you know where we're really really strong and where we need to, to, to build. But employee satisfaction is probably the, the thing I'm most proudest of. So when we look at the satisfaction scores around areas such as, you know, someone's invested in my career, I feel as though ANZ is a great place to have a marketing career. You know, those, those types of questions that we ask in our annual employee satisfaction survey, since launching this program in 2019, late 2019, you know, we've, we've uplifted satisfaction around 20 to 25% in some of those critical areas. And we think that's a phenomenal uplift. So people are really happy with what we're doing. They can see the investment that's being made in them. They, they feel as though ANZ is a great place to have a career. You know, and we are seeing, you know, re retention, um, you know, improve as well, which is just amazing. Just to be clear, you're saying 25% or is it 25 percentage points, Kate? Because uh, Points. Points, it's even bigger. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's substantial. And so you've gone from like five to 25 in two years. 
I can't get the numbers out of you, can I? Unfortunately not, but they're really high. So there, there, isn't, there isn't much further we can go. So we're, we're absolutely up there. Oh, right. So you're, right, you're above 50 then. Oh, we're well above 50. We're well above 60. Yeah, we're, we're, we're right up at the, at the top end. So it's a phenomenal result. And we're just, we're thrilled with, um, we're thrilled with uh, what we're hearing. Yeah, well, 25 percentage points, is, is, that is significant. So something, something's working. So look, great conversation. I can't wait to sort of see what happens in you know, a year's time, uh, 12 months' time, two years' time. And are you taking external uh, applications? Maybe I should learn some stuff here. Do you take sort of bastard journos who want to learn something too or what? I think we absolutely would. Absolutely. We'd love to have you on board, Paul. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold you to that. I might, I might actually sound some, something – I might sound intelligent, Kate. Ah. It's a great um, – a really great initiative. And, and as I said, we haven't – I don't believe we've seen too much of this for um, – for a long time. So uh, in the middle of a talent crisis, it could be a very clever move. So thanks for joining, Kate, and let's catch up in, in a little bit and, and get an update. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.